From the 15th floor of the Energy Building, this is GNR Airtime, the podcast that explores the current trends from emerging and well-established industries hosted by the lawyers of GNR. This podcast is for general guidance only and does not constitute definitive advice. Welcome back to GNR Time. My name is Bakus Pichaksono and for this week's episode, I'm not going to be hosting alone. I have my colleague here with me. Hi, Tom. Hey, guys. So diving right into the topic of this week's discussion, e-commerce. I think this one has been discussed uh, re- quite heavily, not quite, it's very heavily from all sorts of angles in the past years. But I think with COVID, with people spending their time, most of their times at home, and completing the transaction online, I think uh, the development e-commerce has become more and more relevant uh, to everyone. And I'm very excited because for this week's episode, I mean, we have Tama, but we also have someone who is an expert on e-commerce from our corporate practice, Nikki Satyapeni. Hi, Nikki. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for being here. So, Nikki, as you've heard from the intro, uh, e-commerce is the topic of this week. And so the Indonesian by now must have learned about the issuance of the various regulations uh, to address the development of e-commerce. But just before we jump into the legal aspects of the e-commerce, I think we need to take a step back and understand the basic of it. So e-commerce is definitely a term that we hear so often by now. Uh, but could you give us a general overview on what e-commerce is? And is, for example, is marketplace the term that we, we, we know so well? And perhaps electronic retail, are those the only forms of e-commerce? Yeah, so um, because e-commerce is essentially the activity of buying and selling of goods and services over an electronic network, mainly through internet. Of course, when we talk about online transaction, there are many type of transaction, right? First thing that come into most people's mind when we talk about e-commerce is, oh, e-commerce is online shopping. And it's not wrong. As an online shopper myself, I can totally relate to that. But if we want to put online transaction into categories, in general, there are six basic types of okay, e-commerce. Six. So first you have business to business model or B2B. This B2B refers to transaction made between two business players. An example of this B2B model is an online wholesale. And then you have business to customer or B2C. This B2C refers to transaction between business player as sellers and customers. Let's say you are a company and you have product that you want to sell to customer. You sell that product directly to your customer through online platform. After B2C, you also have customer to customer business model or C2C. The C2C encompasses all electronic transactions that take place between customers. And in the C2C model, you have an online platform as an intermediary. The classic example of C2C is marketplace. So from the marketplace operator perspective, both the sellers and the buyer listed in the platform are the customer and the marketplace operator provide platform to allow transaction to happen through online system. These three models that I mentioned earlier are the well-known models, but 
In addition to those three, we also have business to administration or B2A. This is for transactions between companies and public administration, for example, for social security program. Then we also have customer to business or C2B. This is where a customer makes their service available for companies to purchase. For example, if you are a content creator, or a graphic designer, and then you want to offer your service online. And last, right. you also have customer to administration or C2A. And an example of this C2A is when you schedule health appointment using an online service. And arguably, two most popular models of e-commerce in Indonesia are marketplace and e-retail. Marketplace is C2C, and e-retail is P2C. Given that these two are so widely used, the regulatory framework tends to focus on these two models. Although six business model that I mentioned earlier, each has its own dynamic. All right, that's the perfect introduction now. So, uh, Tama, could you give us a general overview now on the current ecosystem for e-commerce in Indonesia? And particularly, I think it's the mo- it's most interesting to see what makes it an attractive sector for foreign investors. Thank you, Bagus. Uh, I guess to answer this question, you know, I'd like to sort of take a step back and look at Indonesia. I think uh, more globally. Um, and and sort of mention a few sort of key statistics um, that make uh, Indonesia overall, you know, quite an attractive market. Um, Indonesia, obviously, from from a demographics uh, point of view, uh, has quite a large uh, population, uh, 264 million, um, right, right. approximately. Which, um, for those who are not familiar with Indonesia, um, they can find it quite surprising that we're actually the fourth largest, uh, you know, by population in the world. Uh, which, which is um, you know, quite a large uh, and sizable uh, population. But I think more than that, um, in terms of uh, sort of e-commerce, um, some of the more interesting uh, features of Indonesia is that you know, obviously we have a growing middle class. Uh, also, uh, demographically, we're relatively young, uh, having a median age of about 30 years old. Um, and I think more than that, um, Indonesia's internet penetration, uh, especially recently, uh, you know, has has grown quite rapidly. We have around you know 171 million internet users, uh, and and that statistic is is really really um, from a few years back. Uh, and undoubtedly, there's there's been uh, growth since then. Um, and really, uh, credit to sort of the technological development of having cheap, affordable smartphones. I think that's um, sort of a revolutionary. Uh, development that has uh, impacted uh, e-commerce uh, and overall use of internet uh, tremendously, uh, especially for developing countries, including Indonesia. And interesting, some other interesting statistics um, is that you know, 90% of internet users, age 16 to 64, have at some point purchased goods and or services online. Um, you know, this is in 2019 um, from a Global Web Index. So it's really interesting that. Not only there is a high internet penetration, uh, but an increasing uh, use of um, e-commerce and using, uh, you know, the internet as a place to transact, uh, which is mm-hmm. quite a key development uh, and what makes uh, Indonesia very attractive. Uh, in fact, the e-commerce uh, market uh, size uh, between 2015 and 2019 has quadrupled, uh, which right. is, you know, shows uh, tremendous growth. Um, and I think a lot of this uh, is contributed um, uh, also <laughs> in part by the role of e-commerce uh, platforms in Indonesia, um, the marketplaces that, that uh, Nikki mentions, um, the C2C model, uh, as it really enabled uh, consumers and sellers to have a flat 
platform that they can trust. And these platforms play a key role, you know, including uh, being an, uh, effectively an escrow agent for payments uh, and also facilitating or being a marketplace for um, delivery, uh, allowing people to pick the uh, postal companies that they would like uh, the goods to be delivered. So a lot of this um, sort of role of, of the e-commerce uh, players in Indonesia um, has contributed greatly as well to the growth of the overall uh, use of e-commerce in Indonesia. And I think from a, uh, going back to your question on why it is attractive um, for, for investors, um, not only, as I mentioned, statistically, those um, numbers are quite attractive um, from a commercial point of view for, uh, for investors. Uh, I think in addition to that, from a regulatory point of view, um, it's been relatively open uh, for foreign investment. Uh, E-commerce, uh, in the sense of an online marketplace, is actually 100% open to foreign investment uh, with the caveat mm -hmm. that there is a minimum investment amount of 100 billion uh, rupiah, which is about um, $6.8 million. And um, really, that, that it's been um, sort of a ripe environment uh, for growth. And going forward, and just to conclude this segment, um, there is still a room uh, to grow uh, in terms of uh, Indonesian e-commerce because you know, despite all the hype around e-commerce in Indonesia, it's actually only uh, five to seven percent of total shopping volumes is, is still done online. Um, so there's still uh, a lot of room to right. grow uh, where you know, traditionally Indonesia still uh, primarily shops uh, through brick and mortar stores. Uh, but you know, given the potential, it's, there's a lot of uh, interest uh, and really a lot of op optimism going forward uh, in terms of uh, e-commerce in Indonesia. Right, thanks. That's an interesting fact, actually. And considering that the figures that you just described is from 2019, so I can only imagine what the figures would look like uh, even in the first semester of 2020 with, again, everyone shopping and transacting from home. Yeah, and just to add to that, especially with, with the pandemic, um, really, I think there's there's a shift as well. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we can sort of see, um, you know, as we go through this, how the numbers have grown actually through the pandemic and how uh, people have you know, grown more accustomed to, to transacting online. Yep, yep, exhibit A, uh, myself. <laughs> right, so uh, Nikki, uh, let's dive into the regulation now uh, that I mentioned earlier. So we understand that the Ministry of Trade now has issued a new regulation uh, under MOT number 50 of 2020, which serve as a further clarification of the previous government regulation issued to address the development of e-commerce in Indonesia. So now, can you take us through the new key provisions introduced under this regulation? Sure, Bogus. This MOT regulation is actually a very interesting topic to discuss, but... Before I explain the key provision under the MOT regulation, I want to give you a background of this regulation and let's shift our attention a bit to another important regulation, which is the mm -hmm. Finance Minister Regulation number 48-PMK03-2020. So what this Finance Minister Regulation is, is it about, the one related? to put it short, it says that VAT now applies to sales of digital right. products supplied by foreign businesses to Indonesian customer and it applies since 1 July 2020. So what does it mean then for online sellers or online service provider? So it means that there will be another cost for the goods and the services in addition to the main price of the goods and the services itself. How it would affect us as a user. Total fee that 
you that we need to pay to purchase goods or services from offshore will be higher simply to accommodate this VAT. Mm. And this finance minister regulation was issued on 5th of May. And almost one week later, the MOT issued the MOT regulation 50-2020. So to understand the context of the MOT regulation, we need to read these two regulations together. So now we have discussed the general understanding of e-commerce. And if we put that in the context of the Indonesian regulation, what is e-commerce? The regulation mentioned that trading through a lot electronic system or perdagangan melalui system electronic means trading in which transaction is conducted through a series of electronic devices and procedures. So the definition of electronic trading itself is in line with the general understanding of e-commerce. Now, going back to the Minister of Trading Regulation, it contains several provisions. First, the definition of electronic trading business capture not only onshore business actor, but also offshore business actor. And then it further breakdowns the definition of business actor into merchant operator that provide electronic facilities and intermediary service operator. That definition of onshore merchant also include merchant that conducting e-trading on social media. So if you sell something through social media, maybe baking something at the cakes. <laughs> oh no. There you go. This regulation also introduced a new threshold for offshore business actors. It says that an offshore business actor that has more than 1,000 customers within a one-year period or more than 1,000 package within a one-year period shall appoint a representative in Indonesia. So what form of the rep office and what does the regulation actually mean? It brings us into another key provision under this regulation. This regulation provides a new form of wrap office, namely foreign trade wrap office for electronic right. trade. This, this is a new form of wrap office that you can only find in this regulation. All right. This regulation specifies the, the procedure to establish the wrap office and then in regard to the licenses, this regulation requires onshore e trading operator and onshore intermediary service operator to obtain trading license through e-system or an onshore merchant that has its own e-trading facility is also required to obtain this license. So this is typically including e-retail. Okay, but is there any exemption? Of course, when we talk about license, we talk about exemption for that license. Right, I suppose so. In general, the regulation says that all licenses issued before this regulation remain valid as long as they have not expired and they are registered in OSS. And then specifically for onshore trading operator, you're not required to obtain this license if you don't have direct benefits from the transaction or not directly involved in the contractual relationship. So web portals such as Google, Yahoo, it is excluded from, from the application of this license. Right, so is it immediately effective or do they have time, the business players have time to adjust to this new requirement? This regulation enforced on 13 November 2020. So there is a grace period of six months since the enactment and then the, the players can have hopefully sufficient time to adjust with the new regulation. All right, so they still have time, yeah? Thanks, Nikki. Uh, Tama, what do you think are the key issues that the business players would likely face uh, with the new requirements, the, these various new requirements imposed to their business activities? 
I think as uh, Nikki mentioned, there is a new licensing requirement uh, that applies uh, to merchants. Um, and in some ways it's, it's uh, understandable and, and quite reasonable to require uh, businesses to have uh, you know, a license, uh, you know, including merchants that sell uh, goods and services uh, through e-commerce platforms. Uh, but I guess uh, the question now is how would this be applied uh, to sort of micro and sort of individual level uh, consumers that, that are selling goods uh, online. Um, again, as I mentioned, it is um, in a lot of ways expected for business to have licenses. Uh, but then the question would be, for example, in, in the C2C uh, sale, for example, you have uh, used uh, telephones, for example, that you want to sell uh, sort of as one-off uh, in, in an online platform, or you, know, you have um, sort of used goods that you know, you'd like to just you know, sell, for example, um, in, in, a, in a marketplace for used, used goods, um, let's say. Um, technically, the, the regulations still would require you to have a uh, license uh, to sell. Um, and that you know, begs the question of how um, this licensing regime would be applied uh, to uh, individuals who are looking to you know, just sell uh, as a one-off uh, transaction rather than uh, having a continuous uh, business. Um, um, I would suspect that um, much of the focus from the government is more on uh, the businesses uh, and in terms of, uh, as Nikki mentioned, uh, relating to tax, uh, that would uh, likely be more of the focus for the government. Uh, but you know, reading regulations, it, it technically would apply to anyone um, selling goods uh, to, uh, you know, through the online platform. Uh, that's, I guess, one um, sort of question uh, that remains to be seen in terms of the enforcement. Then the other um, discussions as well as uh, Nikki mentioned there uh, is related to tax, um, in particular tax on uh, foreign offshore entities. I think this has uh, been a particularly sensitive uh, sticking point um, in um, sort of more international uh, level uh, trade uh, in terms of uh, the US, for example, uh, have been uh, conducting investigations on several countries, including the uh, EU and Indonesia as well, on whether taxes are imposed on uh, you know, digital commerce uh, on U US tech companies seen as, as discriminate discriminatory uh, in terms of uh, international trade. And this will have um, repercussions as well in terms of, of the U.S. stance uh, towards you know, trade globally, uh, including if you know, it would uh, enact, for example, uh, retaliatory uh, tariffs or you know, recourse against uh, uh, those countries. Um, and that it would be interesting to see how this plays out, because I think this is not only a, a, an issue uh, specific to Indonesia, but I think the wider question of um, tax on the commerce is, I think, a wider one. Yeah, I guess now the question would be, how would Indonesia be able to impose these rules to entities that do not have any physical presence in Indonesia? I think Indonesia is actually uh, looking at other countries uh, in imposing uh, the regulation where they, they want to be able to tax foreign uh, entities that are not um, having a presence here in Indonesia. And this, uh, I guess, brings uh, me to sort of the, the, the third point in terms of the enforcement of the rules against uh, offshore entities. Um, the answer to that is that regulations uh, do allow a blacklisting of uh, services provided by uh, those entities. 
uh, including the, the blocking uh, of the services um, to be used in Indonesia. And that you know, remains to be seen how that will be in practice, but I think you know, effectively what it would mean that is that for foreign entities that do not comply with regulation in terms of the licensing requirements and taxation requirements, for example, uh, will have its services blocked uh, and not being able to be accessed by Indonesians. Um, certainly there's ways around that, uh, but I think you know, for the most part, that seems uh, a sanction that has uh, quite some teeth. Uh, and we're actually seeing more and more uh, foreign entities uh, looking to comply uh, with uh, these new rules, um, you know, because this is indeed uh, quite a substantive sanction that can be imposed on uh, these foreign service providers. Right, I think so too. Uh, even earlier this week, I received an email from one of my many subscriptions, uh, the OTT subscription saying that starting next month, uh, we are going to impose this new subscription price because they have to adhere to the new taxation requirements. We're starting to see the foreign business players uh, following the rules. And this would also mean that we need to be prepared <laughs> to get an increase for all of our subscriptions. So I second Tama Fuse on the issue related to e-commerce. For offshore merchants, after the issuance of this MOT regulation, it's a totally different story. When an offshore merchant is really small, it might still be below the threshold for rep office, but again, it's still subject to tax. And we ask ourselves, how about the enforcement? Well, when we transact in e-commerce, of course, we leave, we, we left digital footprints, such as email address, credit card details, IP address, and so on. So technically, there is a record that can be used for the basis of enforcement. Yeah, I mean, with that, do you think the government, or, or rather, does the government even have the resources to trace and impose VAT to each of the foreign entity? That does not sound like a viable plan. At the end of the day, you want to put your effort into something that gives you the highest return, right? Right, yeah, totally agree. Uh, so that's the more reason that I think the government should not be doing and would not be able to do this effort alone. I think uh, a joint effort with other country would, would be required then. When we talk about dynamic between countries, we need to consider the WTO and agreements entered by countries under WTO, such as GATT and GTS. And we talk about trading barriers in that context. As Tama mentioned, Indonesia is not the only country that adopt or consider digital tax. There are also countries that implement uh, this digital taxation. For example, India, Brazil, Turkey, and other countries. Further to that, it also relates to bilateral diplomacy of Indonesia because a country might impose another measure to items from Indonesia to counter the, G the digital tax. And there's a cost-benefit calculation there. There are many factors in this issue, and it's hard to predict on how the end position would look like. Right, right, Nikki. I couldn't agree more. So just to try to find a concluding point to this discussion, because I'm having way more fun than I'd like to admit. 
just what do you guys think about the future of e-commerce in the country? Because it doesn't take a genius to know that we're heading towards the right direction. We now have the right infrastructure, regulatory uh, infrastructure for it, and we are seeing more and more people pouring their money into the various business, the companies that we have here. And as Tama mentioned earlier in this discussion, the majority of the Indonesian people still transact the conventional way. Uh, and so there's 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 endless possibility for the online e-commerce to grow. So what, just what do Tama and Nikki think about the future? Yeah, so uh, the AMOT regulation 50-2020 is obviously one big step in the e-commerce ecosystem. But I think with the increasing use of e-commerce in the market, it demands a supportive ecosystem to enable e-commerce to function well. Actually, the growth in e-commerce, it helps to boost other sector as well. Because when we talk about e-commerce, that set of systems will pop into our mind. Yep. We need logistic support for delivery and warehousing. We need infrastructure for telecommunication and internet networks. We need digital payment. We also need to be mindful of cybersecurity. We need education and workforce to adapt to this new technology, how we should utilize it, what kind of policy that need to be put in place so that people feel protected, but they do not block the growth of e-commerce itself. From the business players, they need funding to grow the business. And that funding can be secured with a set of regulation that support the ecosystem. From the customer perspective, we also need to feel protected and there is a room for customer protection regulation to protect us in that sense. Totally, yeah. You have it covered from all directions, Nikki. Perfect, thank you. Uh, Tama, what do you think? Yeah, I, I concur with Nikki. I think the growth in e-commerce as well will help contribute with the growth in sort of the larger uh, ecosystem of um, you know, the need to have uh, technology in Indonesia. I think another uh, aspect of this as well is um, payment um, is another uh, big component uh, in sort of the e-commerce uh, ecosystem. Uh, actually, the majority of transactions in Indonesia uh, that are done through e-commerce is not through credit card, uh, but other methods uh, such as bank transfers and, and e-money. Uh, which is uh, uh, another separate episode that, that we've done uh, in this podcast. Um, so there's still a lot of uh, excitement in terms of uh, the growth. Um, there is some consolidation in terms of the bigger players um, getting a lot of funding from uh, for investors. Uh, but I think uh, overall, I think there's still a lot of room to grow and for the regulations uh, to further adapt and improve. Right. Thank you so much, Tama. And just because you mentioned a little bit about fintech, uh, I'd like to just draw everyone's attention, especially the new listeners of Jena Airtime, that we have actually covered uh, e-money and all sorts of fintech-related topics in an older episode. So be sure to check those out. Again, thank you so much, Tama and Nikki, for your time. Super grateful that you're able to share your knowledge on this topic. And I'm pretty sure that we're going to have another chat for uh, another episode of Jena Airtime in the future, hopefully together at the office. <laughs> but until then, we're just going to have to be staying safe and making the most of our time from home. Again, thank you so much. Thank you, Bagus. Thank you, Bagus. Thanks, everyone. All right, everyone. That's it for this week's episode of Jena Airtime. We'll see you in the next episode. Take care and bye-bye.